You are my pride and joy. You really are, you know. When Jesus returns, it is you lot that we are going to be really proud of. That's my paraphrase of the end of the chapter, partly inspired by the wording in the message. Chapter two is all about Paul's ministry. And I think we um, have heard and would read about somebody who has a longing to be with others who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see a man who is passionate, who has a real pride in how these people have accepted and responded to hearing the gospel, and also a real sense of joy in seeing the fruit that results from his ministry and flowing out from their lives. During January, um, on one of my days off, I went to see Mary Poppins 2. Um, it wasn't really top of my list to see, um, but it was on at the right time, so I went. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. And actually, one reason I did is that it helped me ponder and reflect about similarities with Mary Poppins and Christian ministry, believe it or not. Mary Poppins sweeps in to help the Banks family as nanny to the children. She's um, a warm character, she's funny, she's kind, but she's also quite firm, um, is, dis is disciplined, has a sense of authority. She has some sort of magical powers, which we don't know come from where. Um, and actually what she does is shape and mould the relationships between the children and the parents in a marvellous way. So that when her task is done and the wind changes, she leaves, but she leaves with a tear in her eye because she has started to care deeply for those she's lived with. I think there's some similarities with Paul's ministry in that. He was actually with the Thessalonians for only a short time, probably around a month. And then he had to leave probably before he wanted to, following persecution. And this letter, and this chapter particularly, is written in response to the rising criticism his ministry had faced amongst the early believers there. And I think it's almost him justifying his credentials again in the form of quite fierce and vocal opposition. We see a man of great courage in declaring the gospel that had transformed his life. And we see a man who worked and ministered during great opposition. How on earth was he able to do all that? Well, actually, I think it was because he had been long prepared and well prepared by God and by his life experience for this ministry. So what do we know of Paul and his ministry? Well, we know that he is, was approved by God. That's in verse four, which says, for our appeal does not come from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God, 
to be entrusted with the message of the gospel. Even so, we speak not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. A man approved by God, somebody with pure motives, somebody who was able to minister with integrity. And with that, I mean a consistency between all that he was inside and all that was seen on the surface. It's what it says on the tin, really, is what is inside it. Paul's motives were not to deceive, to trick, and they were not for the wrong reasons. Actually, what would our secular world, perhaps I'll keep it to that, look like if there was a huge integrity and consistency of motives with some in positions of leadership today? Paul had been called by God His story of conversion, if we want to use that word, is recorded in Acts 9, and I haven't actually got the time to say much about that, but have a reread later. He he met the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. Paul, the persecutor of those early Christians who called themselves the way, actually came to faith in Jesus in the one he was persecuting. We know of a man, therefore, who met the risen Lord and was changed. So I think we can also have confidence in when we read and think about what Paul has written and his experience, because he knew what he was preaching about. He actually wasn't talking from some sort of theory or academic He was talking from his deep experience. He knew that he had been set free from sin. And that had been accomplished in his life by the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think he also knew that God had placed huge value on his life. Him the man who was persecuting the early church who stood and watched Stephen stoned. Well, actually, even for him, God had gone to great lengths to rescue him. Jesus was sent to live and die for him. He knows full well that he is included in this story and this reality. So we also see a man who, as he responded to the risen Lord Jesus, he also discovered who he was really created and called to be. He accepted this new way of life, one that God had wanted for him. And I think in Paul, we see a man of huge passion but also somebody who was compelled to lead the ministry that he'd been called to, to this new way of life. But actually, for him to do this, things had had to change for him. He couldn't say, yes, I'm for Jesus, and then carry on persecuting the early church, could he? He had to reorder his life big time, 
and change his priorities as he did. He had to accept the invitation from Jesus and live out the calling that was offered to him. For him, as it is for us, it's a choice. It's a saying yes. It's also an act of will. We're not passive participants in this. And I also feel very strongly that when we say yes, it's not just a mental assent, but it will have repercussions in how we live practically for Jesus every day. Um, during January, I read quite a number of books. And one of the ones I read is called Finding Sanctuary. And it's written by an abbot from Worth Abbey. Um, I think Worth Abbey was the location of a TV show some years ago where a few people went to live in the abbey and experience the Christian life. In this book, the abbot remarked upon one of these people having come to faith because of his experience with the monks there. And this person knew full well that he, having come to faith in Jesus, couldn't go back to his old way of living. Things had to change. Now, this particular person, and I don't know his name, um, had been involved in making trailers for sex chat lines. He knew that he couldn't carry on doing that sort of stuff and living for Jesus. Those things are not consistent. I think that's really true for us today as well. If we have said that yes to Jesus, believe me, I think there's something with all of us that would need to change. And I also don't think that it's always uh, it's done once. I think it's a, a carrying on, a continuing, a deepening as we, as we continue to walk with God. But I think it's a question for all of us, is what is it today that I might be doing that Jesus would prefer me not to? So how did Paul change? Well, I think the Holy Spirit and living and dwelling in the presence of Jesus had much to do with that, with him. The details about him from conversion to ministry are actually very scant in the New Testament. There is a period of 14 years from that Damascus Road conversion to when he went on his first missionary journey. So even for Paul, I would suggest that there was much for him to learn and to do and to realise. We know he ministered in Syria. We know he met with Peter and James in Jerusalem. We know that when he sensed the call and was obedient to that, he was actually in his mid to late 40s. So actually for the time was quite old, I think. Yet he was ready to go where God had called him. And I would also like to suggest that he would, had also been formed and moulded so that he was ready for whatever met him on his work. And actually we know, reading Paul, he met with an awful lot that was against him. So let me just recap. Paul is approved by God. 
Paul's work is planned by God. Paul goes where God calls him. He stays for as long as he can and then moves on. And I think in this text, we saw the human side of Paul longing to stay a bit longer, but actually being obedient to the will of God. He's compelled to share the gospel and has worked hard with that so he knows what to say. He's been able to follow God and the will of Jesus through really difficult and costly consequences. We know he experienced huge persecution in Philippi and criticism, personal criticism of probably his character. That's really hard to take. Yet, I think in Paul, we have somebody who knows that following God is far better than, than the life he was living before he met him. He knows the presence of God in his life and the empowering, the strengthening, the presence of the Holy Spirit with him. So he also knows that his work is not in vain. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because the message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. He knows and experiences what he's talking about and can see it in those to whom he's spoken. But he also doesn't work to please humans. He works to please God. It's a really amazing story of conversion. Somebody from persecutor to apostle somebody who has become so malleable to the workings and the spirit of God that this is how his life continues. I don't know if any of you will have picked up the news this week that the priest and theologian Michael Green died. One obituary I read of his, he was quoted as having said, I have one life and I want to live it for God. He surely did, and perhaps in the academic theological world, I think he touched many lives. He was also priest at a big church in Oxford for a long time. And that's the same for Paul, because the gospel was known to him, was real to him. He knew it had transformed his work. He knew that he had been changed from the inside out, I believe. He could be obedient to his call. Paul said yes to God, and his life had become subject to God and the love of God in all aspects. What I'm talking about here in the life of Paul is about how he was formed for all that had to come how he'd been shaped and moulded to become the person God could use for the task that was assigned for him. God is calling all of us too to a life to be lived in obedience to him. And for each of us, that is a daily choice. We need time to be shaped. It's not instantaneous. 
There may be times when it's really tough, yet vitally important for our ministry, for the coming of the kingdom and for the gospel message in the world. I think today we tend to think we have to move quickly. Our culture's really good at being busy, filling our diaries, rushing, yet the work of God is slow. How much more important is it for us to spend quality time with him in prayer and reading the Bible? So Paul has been approved by God. His work has been planned by God. And to do that, Paul has been shaped by God. Back in chapter one, we heard that Um, He'd become an imitator of God, just as the Thessalonians who'd accepted the message had become imitators. So when we look at how Paul is describing his ministry, this is what he's saying. He's saying that he didn't use flattery, because ultimately it's not about how good he is, it's all about Jesus, all about God. His ministry wasn't a pretext for greed, It's not about, well, what can I get out of this for myself? Paul didn't look for praise for himself. I wonder if he'd have had an Instagram account, whether he'd have noticed the number of likes. Would he have had an Instagram account? His motivation was not about him. And also, he wants to say very clearly that his character was one that was gentle and tender, perhaps contrary to other preachers and teachers of the time who were, you know, the idolaters of the day, not worshipping the living God. Perhaps there was a culture there of showing strength and exerting dominance and superiority. That's not always the way of God, is it? We see a man who cared deeply for the believers, We see somebody who described himself to be like a father, encouraging and urging those new believers on. He also worked hard so that he didn't have to be supported by those he'd gone to preach to. He'd accepted the consequences of being chosen by God and been formed. You see, we have a God who loves us too much to leave us as we are. He desires that we are changed slowly, sometimes painfully, and grow more and more into the likeness of the character of Jesus. Paul is actually God's willing slave. He said yes and continues to say yes. If you know Galatians, Galatians 2.20 Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew the love of the Father. He knew that the love of the Father didn't have any room for coercion or bullying or manipulation, for aggression, for shouting, for stamping of feet. 
Remember the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ from Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control. The receipt of that love in freedom. Love and forgiveness have to be freely given. I think or else they do not accomplish fully the means for which they are intended. Just think about it for a moment. Self-seeking love that puts me first doesn't always work. Another book I've read recently, um, reread recently, is The Return of the Prodigal by Henry Nuon. If you haven't read it, I commend it to you. It's a wonderful reflection on the story of the prodigal son, a reflection on the younger son and the elder son, and also the welcome of the father. The welcome of the father is a love that is vast and extended to all. And it's one in which we have, have to accept the invitation for ourselves. And I'm reminded it's not about me feeling worthy to accept the love of God, but it's about knowing um, and being able to accept the great love that the Father has for me. That's what Paul's done. And he can go on to do the will of the Father because he has deep security in who he is in Christ. He can speak about joy in the midst of persecution. He can share the gospel without needing to be liked. He has the courage to do the right thing even when it's tough for him. He knows that ministry is not easy but he has the perseverance to stay for the long haul because he's fully aware of the hope that he has in knowing Jesus. He's somebody secure in the love of God and over time has been formed and moulded for the work he is doing. And he can look and write, think about that church in Thessalonica and say that you are my pride and joy. So just briefly, is this relevant for us? Isn't this all about Paul or ordained ministers or lay ministers? Well, actually, I don't think so. We are all ministers of the gospel. I hope all who are sitting here have well, have said yes to Jesus, and if you have not, are thinking really carefully about needing to do that. Because when we have, we are changed from the inside out, and in time, we'll be given work to do for God that only we can accomplish. And I do believe there's something for everybody. Nobody is left sitting on the shelf in this. Jean um, helped us think about the gifts a few weeks ago. Have a think back to that again. What is it that God might be asking of you? As we journey, we are given circumstances that help form us. And I think that's one reason why the Christian life can be really tough. Because, speaking from my own experience, we're people that don't like to change. We like us the way we are already. Perhaps we don't see where we need to easily and need others to help us in that. 
perhaps we find reflecting on our own behaviour quite tricky. It's always much easier to blame somebody else, surely, isn't it? Things that can help as we journey are developing a spirit of thankfulness. That's something Paul had. Whatever his circumstances, he gives thanks and praise for who he is, for where he is, and for the ministry he's got. And he's also an enormous encourager, isn't he? He's not somebody who criticises and pulls down, but he looks for the best, wants to build others up, wants the gospel to take root in their lives too. I'm reminded of a quote from St Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Our lives should also preach the gospel. So let us all have courage to think about whether we are living how God wants us to live and to think about those things that might need to change. Perhaps we are holding God at a distance and not letting him come close to these things. Perhaps we need to welcome him afresh into our lives again so that we can be absolutely assured of our calling in him and willingly and obediently shaped for all that he has to come in our life. Amen.